Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Business School Question. I'm your host, Marco Denovelis, and this is a podcast for anyone considering applying to business school. Every episode, we interview a leading expert from the business school world and ask them one key admissions question to help you on your journey to business school. On today's episode, we're asking the question, are US business schools in crisis? To answer it, we're joined by Bill Balding, Dean of Duke University's Fuqua School of Business and new board chair of the Graduate Management Admission Council. Bill's a huge advocate for business as a force for good. In 2014, he was invited to the White House as part of an initiative to explore how business schools can encourage success for women and working families. In 2015, he worked with the New York Federal Reserve, looking to rebuild public trust in the financial sector. Bill's been at Fuqua in Durham, North Carolina for close to 30 years, seven of those as a school's dean. Bill's got a PhD from Wharton. Bill's also a very tall man. He played basketball as a college student, but he gave it all up to dedicate himself to academia and to making the world a better place. Bill, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. It's it's a privilege to be a, a part of this podcast, and uh, it, it is interesting that you pointed out I sacrificed my professional basketball career. So, uh, <laughs> but it's great to join you. Um, so, Bill, it's fair to say U.S. business schools have had a bit of a tough time in recent years. Business schools in the U.S., which promote themselves as bastions of openness and opportunity, are faced with um, well, Donald Trump and the challenge of an administration which blocks people from certain nationalities from entering the country. This compounded by difficulties internationals face trying to secure work visas to stay in the US after graduation has seen applications to many US MBA programs, including Harvard, fall. International students are looking elsewhere to burgeoning business education markets in Europe and Asia, and many American students too are studying outside the country for the first time. Bill, let's start um, with the elephant in the room here. How much of a concern is uh, the current political climate in the U.S. um, for business schools in the U.S.? Yeah. So let let me give you the the one word answer to the the question that you're asking about our our U.S. business schools in crisis. The answer is is no. Uh, But now let's let's go into the the details uh, around what prompts you to ask that question. There's no doubt that that U.S. business schools are concerned about our ability to continue to attract the the best and brightest people from all all parts of the world, the people from within the U.S., the people from outside the U.S. We feel like uh, that uh, to kind of follow through on a premise that that GMAC uh, holds dear, which is no talent should go undiscovered, and therefore if people want to study in the, in the U.S., we feel like they should be welcomed um, with open arms uh, because they provide so much value um, within the country once they arrive. It is true that that's becoming increasingly difficult. Uh, the, the, the data are, are compelling to show that on an overall basis, while the U.S. is still the dominant uh, destination for people interested in uh, graduate business education, um, that the numbers are, are declining. And they're declining at, at all levels. It used to be that the top tier schools were not experiencing a drop in, in applications coming from outside the U.S. that was affecting the, the lower ranked schools. But this past year, what we've seen is that 
that the top schools have all seen this decline in applications. And so, of course, it's of concern. So, um, so one one thing is that uh, the the president is different from any president that that we've had in the past, and so people like to make attributions that that everything that is happening is because of of this this new and different style of of leadership, uh, presidential leadership. The reality is that the immigration issues are are longstanding issues in this country. That we have uh, we have struggled to produce immigration reform that welcomes people not just to study in this country, but to then get work permission post graduation. And so that's something that's been building up kind of a momentum over time as it seems to get more and more challenging for people who choose to be educated in this country to stay and work in this country. And and that has been one of the attractions of, of, a, of a U.S. business education is the ability to, to work in this environment. Um, what's changed is, in addition to the, the difficulties around work permission, is the rhetoric around um, whether people from outside the U.S. will be welcome in this country. And that rhetoric has, uh, has shifted the, the conversation or, or perhaps complicated the conversation among people who are considering coming to the U.S., where in addition to thinking about their potential job prospects, they're now asking the question, will I be welcomed? Will I, will I have a great experience? Uh, will I be respected, valued? Um, and will I ultimately, will I be safe? And uh, what we've seen um, in the GMAC data is that, that there are these combinations of concerns that, that have to do uh, with both the ability to to work in the U.S., but now concerns about basic things like like safety, and uh, as I have conversations with uh, people around the world, it it really the the numbers get brought to life for me. As say I have conversations with parents in in India who are asking me, will will my kids be safe if they go to the U.S. and the answer to that, of course, is yes, they will be safe and yes, they will be respected. They will be valued. Um, they will be welcomed. But there is concern, given the, the rhetoric that we see um, that that's leading to these questions and and perceptions of concern. OK, interesting. So definitely the, the sort of climate is is slightly concerning. And, and what do you think uh, you as a business school and, and other schools can do to try and change the discourse to try and overcome the specific challenge of the sort of political and, and immigration climate yeah well that's a that's a, a very a very complicated um, path to navigate and so let me start with the things that are more controllable and then and then move on to the the, the more challenging questions so the first thing is that I think business schools um, should make it clear that they do very much welcome people from all over the world, that, that they embrace the philosophy that um, anyone who has earned the opportunity to be a part of our programs should, in fact, have that opportunity and that, that you, will, you will be welcomed into a, a warm, inviting community which truly values the idea of global diversity and the fact that we can learn from one another and that the the transformational experience that all students have will be enriched by 
um, the reality of having a very diverse student population. So we need to be very much on point in delivering that message that this is something that matters to us uh, across the industry uh, among U.S. business schools. I think that we also need to speak with more of a unified voice in making the case that that this is a significant challenge and that that therefore our voices are heard not as individual schools but as an industry to say this is something that does need attention from a from a policy point of view and quite honestly in in having had conversations there's no question given given the data I was referring to earlier that that the U.S. business schools are seeing a drop in, in applications coming from outside the U.S. No one really feels sorry for us. That, that that's not the compelling story. You know, woe, woe is us. Isn't it terrible that, that our applications is down, are, are down? The real story is this is a threat to the ongoing vibrancy uh, and sustained growth, the sustained um, economic activity within this country, because what we know is when people come into this country, that they that that you bring in incredibly talented people, that they create value. That what happens is that they increase the size of the pie. It's it, it's gotten a lot of attention. For example, that the Fortune 500 companies, uh, around half of them are due to immigrants, and so clearly many many jobs have been created. Uh, because of the influx of talent from around the world. And this is particularly challenging because at this moment in time, we're seeing two things where you would say, please don't close your doors on anyone who is talented, who wants to be a part of the U.S. economy and the global economy for that matter. Um, Because number one, we're seeing that there's a shortage of talent that with unemployment rates so low, that firms are now saying this is one of our our top four issues, a huge jump in the number of firms reporting that uh, being able to both attract and retain top talent is is one of their their primary concerns. So that's that's a concern to the firms. But the second thing I'd point to is we're at a moment in time when the the global economy is very much in a state of flux that that. (laughs) As you pay attention to what's happening in the business world, we see it's a time of enormous innovation where people have characterized this period of innovation in many different ways. But let's just call it the fourth industrial revolution, which seems to be one of the more common labels. But if you think about it, if you if you keep talent out at a moment in time when the rules of of business are being reset in fundamental ways, then you could potentially be left behind in the global economy. And so the real story is let's not let's not close our doors because if we close our doors, we're going to see challenges in terms of sustained economic growth, sustained job creation in the US and globally. And my my final point is is the following, which is the the talk, the rhetoric about immigration comes from somewhere. It's it's not like it's something that came totally out of the blue. We as business schools have to acknowledge that it comes from a place where um, a a storyline has taken root, which says 
the global economy has not benefited people, broadly speaking, that it's benefiting a selfish few. It's eliminating jobs, on the other hand, uh, on a broader scale. And as a consequence, you're, you're seeing this push, which is not a U.S. phenomenon. It's, we, we've seen it with Brexit and, and we've seen the rise of nationalism around the world. Um, and, and so business schools have to make a better case for the idea that if we prepare people for leadership in the global economy, that that leadership capability will be used as a force for good in a way that does improve lives, that does does um, make society better off. And so we have to be able to tell a compelling story, which kind of comes full circle to your introduction, where I firmly believe that business schools have to make the case that we're preparing talent to use business as a force for good and to improve society. Absolutely. And, and that's very much part of your role at GMAC. You mentioned before the Graduate Management Admission Council is promoting business as a force for good. Um, if we come back and look at an applicant-student perspective, from for U.S. business schools, with this climate uh, going on at the moment, um, how far does that actually affect a student experience going all the way from being on campus for two years to getting a job? How much more difficult is it to get a job if you're an international? And, and has the student experience actually been affected in any way? Right. So I would say that uh, for some tiers of business schools, they have seen fairly dramatic changes in their student population um, and the, the extent to which you see real global representation in those programs. For the top tier schools, applications are down. They're not down a huge amount. They're, they're, down, uh, they're down a small amount, but small enough to say it's small, but it's connected across all these schools. So to this point in time, we're not seeing an impact on the student experience. We're not seeing dramatic shifts in any sense around what you would expect as, as you come into these schools um, and our ability to to kind of deliver on uh, a, a really a really wonderful transformational experience. The reason why I'm sounding the alarm is that if this trend continues, then it would be very worrisome because it it could potentially um, change the experience of students coming in from outside the U.S but also within the U.S. because the students from within the U.S. benefit from the presence of students from coming from all over the world. Absolutely. And if we come to the jobs aspect, have you seen any changes in international students actually getting jobs in the U.S.? Is it, is it more difficult? It can be more difficult if firms are saying that you know, we don't want to go through literally this lottery process and, and so they say, well, we just won't try to hire people who have to get an H-1B visa. Um, we're not seeing that shifting. Um, that, that's, that's what I'm referring to as this is kind of a building up steam over a longer, uh, a longer time horizon where that's not, that's not under you know, real flux. It's just something that happened um, over uh, an unfortunately long period of time. Um, what's happening though is that 
in some ways, as you've seen the introduction uh, of STEM programs within the context of business schools, you're seeing renewed opportunities for people who are pursuing graduate business education to get work permission that comes with their student visa uh, to get three years of, uh, of work experience in this country um, post-graduation that, that comes with, uh, with your student visa. And so, uh, in fact, I'd say that because of that trend, the job prospects are, are actually improving. And so that's a, that's a positive development, in my opinion. Great. Yeah, just to clarify there, that's a, a two-year extension on STEM-designated programs. So masters in data analytics, uh, some masters which have STEM designation, students Correct. get a two-year extension on their OPT period. You get a one-year and then you get a two-year extension. And so the, the total then comes to a three-year uh, work uh, kind of work horizon um, with that designation. So there are options for students wanting to pursue careers in the U.S., that's, that's definite. And um, we've spoken about the, the challenges, the current climate, but at the beginning of our conversation, you gave me a firm no to the are oh, U.S. business schools in crisis question. So so why not? What, what's there to be positive? What would you say to an applicant who is concerned by these issues? Right. So um, a, a couple of different things. So number one, uh, as opposed to being in crisis, I, I would flip it around and I'd say this is actually the golden age of innovation uh, for U.S. business schools that you're seeing as business schools are confronting an, um, an environment which is uh, in a state of change, uh, increased complexity. Their response has been we need to up our game and make sure that we can make changes in what we do that increase the relevance that we have um, for students from all over the world. And so, so one example we've already touched upon is the emergence of some of these STEM-oriented programs um, where you're seeing quite a bit of innovation in that space that, that really is relevant to this fourth industrial revolution that I made reference to in preparing people for the world of technology where AI, machine learning, big data becomes a, a very, very important part of your life. And so, so what you're seeing is that, that the U.S. business schools have to, have to acknowledge that one of the reasons why everyone doesn't want to go to a U.S. business school anymore is the quality of options outside the U.S. has gone up. And we have to, in turn, up our game. Now, um, where do we have advantages? Number one, the, the U.S. is still the, the largest economy in the world. And so there is much, much of value to be a part of uh, an economy which is incredibly robust and um, is of a scale where there are many, many opportunities to, to engage in an area where you can follow your passion. But it's also the case in terms of the specifics of the of this kind of revolution that's happening, that's changing the nature of work as we move forward with with a big questions about the role of technology. That the most innovative economy in that space has been the U.S. economy, and so to be able to be a part of that, I think, is really a very very valuable thing to be. Um, at a place where, again, 
things are changing dramatically and you have the ability to drive those changes. And I think for business schools, they need to be in that game in terms of shaping what's the human difference going to be as we move forward. Because with technology, you've got one story, which has been the story of, of our history, which is with innovation comes new job opportunities and a higher standard of living, the ability to improve lives. And that's been happening every time we go through some kind of uh, revolution that uh, that you know, leads to, you know, say, the Industrial Revolution uh, or the Knowledge Revolution and so on. But now people are telling stories of the way that future could look is that technology could just be a job killer. And then what happens? What happens to humanity in that setting? And so we as educators preparing people to lead the changes in the world as we move forward need to be very much in the game and connected to the people in the practitioner space around making sure that we don't do silly things like outsource human judgment, forget about the importance of the human difference, and forget about the importance of harnessing technology in a way that combines with humanity so that we retain the sense of purpose and meaning that people want in their work lives. And so those are massive challenges. And to be in the U.S. is a is a really great place to to be a part of of those conversations the the last thing that that i'll mention we have an advantage over over business schools in in many other parts of the world where oftentimes those business schools in other places will be standalone units as opposed to being a part of a great university this is obviously not always the case but it can be the case and i think that given, given the changes we're seeing in the world, it's an enormous advantage to be connected to a, a, a great university because what we're seeing is if you are, for example, um, interested in thinking about how we can solve some of the health challenges we see in the world, and it's always easy to, to kind of talk about the challenges around quality of, of healthcare, access to healthcare and costs of healthcare, if you're solving any of those challenges, you probably need to have a broader perspective than just being in a business school environment. And so for our business school students who have that kind of passion and interest, they have the ability through our programs to connect to people uh, on the medicine side, uh, people on the engineering side, people on the, uh, the, the regulatory side in either law or, or public policy. And all of those perspectives become very, very relevant as you think about tackling those those challenges, which are really fundamental to the, the questions of how can we improve the human condition. And you can repeat those stories uh, again and again in different areas, whether you're talking about our, our energy, environmental challenges, and, and so on and so forth. So, so that's, a, that's a, a big advantage, and it's leading to – Again, a great deal of innovation where you're seeing business schools partner in significant ways across these different schools where they have access to then really broad, deep talent that can help our students 
be prepared for the, the world that we live in today and the kind of world we'll live in tomorrow. Coming back to um, talking about getting jobs in the US, uh, being part of that vibrant economy, it sure as hell helps to uh, go to business school in the US if you want to get those jobs. It's going to be a lot more difficult if you go to business school elsewhere. Bill, you talk about an age of innovation, a golden age of innovation. There are new innovation schools trying to help internationals with STEM-designated programs and uh, at government level as well. Do you see any further innovations? Just a final question in terms of the future for U.S. business schools. If this climate were to continue, and even without it, what do you think are future innovations? Do you think schools will go more global, will build their brands across continents? I would say you will see some of that. Clearly, Duke is an example where uh, we have a campus in China, and and so to to have to have a campus uh, in the two largest economies in the world, I think is a is a is a great uh, a great way to be prepared for the kinds of shifts that we might see um, in in terms of the global economy moving forward. Um, and I think you you see other business schools that do do have a local presence. They're U.S. business schools with a local presence in in different parts of the world. Having said that, there are limits to um, what I'll call a bricks and mortar strategy, uh, where we 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 aren't we're nonprofits, and um, and so to generate the resources to be able to put in bricks and mortar institutions that are distributed around the world is is a very challenging uh, task where I just don't think that that schools would see that as a good use of their resources. So another track, which we haven't really touched on, which is another reason why I'm pushing this theme of the golden age of innovation for business schools is that there's another another path to open up access to people from all around the world, which is online programs, and using using technology in a positive way to be able to uh, create access. Uh, so so here, I mean, we have uh, we've launched a new um, health analytics uh, degree program, and we have people from different parts of the world. Who have access to that program that might not have access to the kind of capability that we have, who who want to to stay in China or stay in Europe as they're engaged in their their professional life, but they also want to be able to take advantage of the the, the capabilities um, that that we have in terms of the uh, the the kind of in depth knowledge in, in this space, and so increasingly. Um, we're seeing business schools embrace the idea of the the online option um, in order to to reach a, a broader audience and and the quality of these options is is going um, up and up and up um, and so I think that that's going to be a, a really a really interesting track uh, which will over time as you see generations, who grow up very comfortable with technology and connecting to one another in an online setting, I think you'll see those programs grow in popularity. Um, at the same time, uh, if you're going to ask, I don't see 
um, the face-to-face residential programs coming to an end. I think that that you'll see probably fewer of those with with these trends uh, in terms of online activities and the rise of of local options of high quality. Um, but you'll still see uh, you'll still see very strong, tremendously valuable face-to-face residential programs um, in this country and in other countries around the world. There you go. Fantastic. Thank you, Bill. And um, I guess the message to applicants is look beyond the rhetoric, look beyond the the mist of the political climate. There's a a lot that US business schools clearly still offer. It's still one of the best places and most highly paid places to pursue your career. And business school is a great place to start with that. So uh, thank you very much, Bill. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Business School Question. Do look out for our next episode where we'll be asking experts admissions consultant Barbara Coward, Europe or the United States, where should you study for your MBA? You can download our podcast on iTunes, open your iOS device, open the podcast app, then tap browse at the bottom of the screen and type in the business school question. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate and review it on iTunes, share it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, tell all your colleagues and friends. The Business School Question is brought to you by the team at Business Because, without a doubt, my favourite online publisher dedicated to graduate management education. Whether you're considering an MBA, EMBA or Business Master's programme, read more Business School news and get practical resources to help your Business School application on businessbecause.com. Hi, my name is Gareth Howells, Executive Director of the MBA MIF and Early Career Programs at London Business School. And when I'm not trying to admit the very best students, I'm listening to the Business School question.